We are in uh, Matthew chapter 9, verse 32 through 38, and we're going to be talking about disciples are being prepared to do. You are disciples of Christ. You've been given a spiritual gift. You are prepared to do something within the body of Christ. That is the message that I'm going to be giving you today. Also, you're being prepared to rule in a future kingdom. Your preparation for ruling in that kingdom starts here as we're obedient to Christ. So if you would, stand for reading of the Word of God. Chapter 9, verse 32 says this, As they went out, behold, they brought to him a man, mute and demon-possessed. And when the demon was cast out, the mute spoke, and the multitudes marveled, saying, It has never been like this in Israel. But the Pharisees said, He cast out demons by the ruler of demons. Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them, because they were weary and scattered like sheep, having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. This is the word of God. Thank you. Father, thank you for this time that you've given us to study the infallible, inerrant word of the living God. Lord, we build our lives upon this word. You are speaking to us. May we hear today things that you are teaching or want to teach us. Holy Spirit, I pray that we'll, each person will be unusually attentive today, that the distractions will be minimal, that thinking about things from the outside will go away, and we'll just focus on what you have for us today. We ask you this in Jesus' name. Amen. So since I didn't test this, okay, good. Please be seated. As you know, the theme of Matthew is Jesus is the promised king. And it's great to know that there is a king that is coming that's going to straighten out this mess on planet Earth. Last time we met, we talked about three miracles. Jesus healed a woman with a blood issue for 12 years. Raised, uh, raised a 12-year-old boy from the dead and healed two blind men. Now, something that was unique to all three of these was faith. Faith. And we talked about our faith is important in order to have God act in our situation. Remember uh, Hebrews chapter 1. Faith is being sure of what you hope for and certain of what you do not see. And we talked about the faith test. And we went to James chapter 1, verse 3. And it, it talks about the, the, the testing of our faith produces patience or perseverance and that word was hupomone patience hupomone and it means patient with circumstances as we draw closer to god we can actually become more and more patient with the stuff that comes into our lives there's also another word called macrothumia it's not used in that james text but it is one of the fruits of the spirit the fruit of the spirit one of those is is patience and that is macrothumia. It's got that thermometer kind of word in there. That means slow to heat up with people, patient with people. So you have the Spirit of God resident within you that allows you to be patient with the circumstances that you're facing and patient with people that you run into. We need the Holy Spirit to do that. We also learn that doubt cancels out receiving. In James 1, 7, let not that man suppose that he'll receive anything from the Lord. He is double-minded, unstable, or unsettled in all his ways. And you remember, double-minded means double-souled. Your soul is your thoughts, feelings, emotions. Double-souled is I'm, I'm torn between God and I'm torn to, between this world. What's the world telling me? What's God telling me? And you vacillate back and forth. No. We want to stop and say, I believe what God says. Now, the important thing that you want to remember is there's some truths that, that I wanted to make sure that are indelibly imprinted into our minds. We pray by faith. We believe by faith. But folks, not everybody's going to be healed here. Eventually there, not here. Not everybody's going to have your situation changed. But there is something that you can absolutely count on, and that is God will be with you through the mess. Through the mess of life, he'll be with you. His strength, he'll give you the strength to endure, the courage to stand, the peace to persevere. That is what our God promises. us. No matter what comes our way, he will be with us. Now, when the trial comes to your house, and you might be in a respite right now, but one day 
The trial will come to you. You know that. You've been through trials. If you're past one day old, you've been in trials, okay? What is the one day old's trial? Feed me, change me, feed me, change me. So it's, you know, you're going to have trials. So trials from thriving in the trial or from, from surviving the trial to thriving in the trial. Now I want you to think about when the trial comes, three things you want to remember. Number one is do this. Instead of running around, you ever see a lost hunter in the woods? They start running around, going crazy in a panic. No. First thing we do is we stop and pause and we stop the stinking thinking immediately. Not the sky is falling. This is the worst thing. No, we stop the stinking thinking. Number two, refocus all eyes on Jesus. When the trial comes, stop, focus everything on God. And thirdly, trust God. God is a God of the impossible. Psalm 148.8 says this, but, but my eyes are on you, O God, the Lord in whom I take refuge, who I find my hiding place. I find my refuge in you. With God, all things are possible. Now this week, disciples are prepared to do and are going to be prepared to rule. And we're going to start out with demons destroy, disciples are prepared to do. Let's start in verse 32. So as they went out, behold, they brought to him a man mute and demon-possessed. And when the demon was cast out, the mute spoke. And the multitudes marveled, saying, It was never seen like this in Israel. But the Pharisees says, said, He cast out demons by the ruler of the demons. Now, please note, important point, someone who cared brought the man to Jesus. There had to be an intervention. Does this resonate with you in any way? I hope it does. We are to bring people to the master. Bring people to Jesus. And I'm telling you, this is not a time to hold back. This is not a time for shy Christianity. This is time for men and women of God to stand for their faith and be active in the culture that God has placed you in. Our job is very clear. We are to be a witness, a martyrio, a pointer, one who declares or confirms the facts of an event. Now, that word martyrio comes from the root word martyr, and that means you are in this to the death. Some people are called to witness to the death. That doesn't happen much in this country yet, but it happens all throughout the world. John was a martyrio. John, the apostle John, was a, was a witness. In John 1, 6, he says this, there was a man sent from God, his name was John. This man came for a witness to bear witness to the light. And I submit to you that each one of you are just like John, sent by God to be a witness, a light to wherever God places you. And that light is this in John 1, 9. It's the true light that gives light to every man coming into the world. We want to introduce people in this culture to the true light. Why am I emphasizing the true light? Because there is a false light. Satan masquerades as an angel of light. His methodology is deception. It is constant. It is continual. He is effective in what he does. So we must show them the true light. We, every believer has a, has a mandate from God to give the gospel message, tell people how this whole thing ends. The king is coming, folks, and the world is prepped now for the king to come. Look, we are, we, I think we're on the precipice of the rapture of the church. Things are put in place now that have never been put in place in the history of the world. You know, people, it's always been bad, it's always been this. You guys have been saying this for years. Believe me, I, I, I know this because I read the late great plan on earth in 1978. I thought by 1979 the whole program would be over, but I'm still here, okay? But those things are put in place now that weren't put in place then. This push towards globalism, I'm saying, is huge. It's a huge indicator of what's going on in the culture around us. Now remember this. Our job is to introduce people to Jesus. But remember, God is the one who saves. 
He is the one that opens eyes. Father draws, John 6, The Holy Spirit convicts every human being of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And Jesus said, if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men to myself. Everybody has an eternal destination, folks, heaven or hell. And God has asked us to intervene, to bring people to him. He saves them, he preps them, but he asks us to be in the program. So, this week, Jesus is casting out a, de out a deaf and mute demon. Something only Messiah could do. Never done in the history of Israel. In rabbinical teaching, hear this, in rabbinical teaching, a demon was cast out by communicating with the demon, asking the demon his name, and casting out the demon using his name. If someone is mute and they can't speak, and by the way, usually deafness and muteness in Scripture go together, so I added deaf to this, although he doesn't add it in the Scripture here. And if he can't hear the word, the command, if he can't speak the command, then the demon can't be cast out by normal means. Only Messiah was able to do this. And remember, there are three messianic miracles that were unique to the real Messiah. Remember, there's all kinds of phony messiahs that came, but only Jesus could do this. Cast out a demon from a deaf mute, heal a person blind from birth, and heal a leper. Now, this is huge. Now, watch how the people respond. The people's response is this. They marveled, saying, it was never seen like this in Israel. You know what they're saying? Who is this guy? They still don't recognize him for who he is. They don't recognize him as being the Messiah. And that's, that's common to our world today. People don't recognize who Jesus is. In that book, Person of Interest, we learn that world religions, all world religions, embrace Jesus. They speak well of Jesus. They call him a prophet, a great teacher, a wonderful person, an avatar, an enlightened one, one of many gods. But many people look at Jesus as being an entertainer. He's there to entertain them, to meet their every need and every whim. That is not why Jesus came. He is the Messiah. He is the anointed one. He is the Son of God. He is the Savior of the world. And these guys did not recognize that. Had they recognized it, what would they have done? Worshipped him. Worshipped him. He is Jesus Christ, King of Kings. True believers know something that the rest of the world does not know. True believers know that they are here for Jesus. We are here for him to submit to his teaching and his rule. Our lives submitted to him. And we are to do this. You've heard this verse many, many times. To deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow him. Luke 9, 23. What does deny yourself actually mean? And I think it means this. It is to deny self-rule. Every human being's flesh, the flesh part of your being that has not been redeemed yet, that doesn't happen until you're glorified, wants to rule. That's self-rule. And by the way, the demonic realm is very interested in keeping people from the real Jesus. The false Jesus, kind of the phony Jesus, maybe the Jesus that's that's presented in progressive Christianity that is happening more and more today, where Jesus is just one of many ways to God, they have no problem with introducing that Jesus. But the true Jesus, they'll do everything they can, everything they can to keep people from the real Jesus, to continue self-service, to continue thinking, I am the captain of my fate. I am the master of my soul. They want you to think that. Phony make-believe Jesus they will support. Now, just a side note, and this is going to, I'm talking about casting out a demon here, and I wanted to use this as an opportunity to speak on this subject, okay? And please hear me, there's many views on demon possession and casting out demons and that sort of thing, and I want to go through this, what I believe the Scripture teaches on this. Casting out demons today. First of all, there is no proscribed way in the Scripture, no formula step-by-step step, that tells us how to cast out demons. There's nothing in any of the epistles. It's just not there. And the question is, can a believer be demon-possessed? 
Now, you're immediately thinking, no, but there are many good Bible teachers that believe that, yes, they can be possessed, that their soul is possessed, but not their spirit. I disagree with that. I disagree with that. So I would say a resounding no, and I'm going to give you the reason why I would disagree with that. At salvation, the Holy Spirit takes res up residence in the inter inner person of a being. When you were born into this world, you were born dead in your trespasses and sin. Your spirit was dead. You had no ability to commune with the living God. Jesus came, saved you, made your spirit alive, and allowed you to be able to communicate with God. He rescued you from the kingdom of darkness. Now, 2 Corinthians 6.15 tells us something about what happened that moment we said yes to Jesus. Okay? And, and actually, it's in the this, in this section about being unequally yoked with unbelievers. And what accord has Christ with Belial, which is the worthless one, would be Satan? None. You can just, just add on there, none. Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? Folks, that's different kingdoms. None. You can't be united. And what agreement has a temple of God with idols? None. And then he makes this statement. Paul says this. For you are the temple of God. Now, we hear that statement. Might not mean a whole lot to you, but it will in just a second mean more than what you can imagine. That word temple is naos, N-A-O-S. And that means holy of holies. You are the temple of the living God. God is dwelling in you as the holy of holies was in the temple. In the temple was was a, was a place called the Holy of Holies, where the Ark of the Covenant dwelt, and the Shekinah glory of God was present there. Pillar of fire, pillar of cloud, and light. Resplendent light. That's the Shekinah. 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 Shekinah means tabernacle or dwells with God dwelling with men. God dwells with us now in this epoch of time. When we're born again, the Spirit of God takes up residence within us. Residence within us. So, you are the temple. God dwells in you. And hear this loud and clear. No demon can dwell where the glory of God dwells. That's what I believe. Okay? You were saved. You were dead in your trespasses and sin. He made you alive in Christ Jesus. And all. And remember, this world system is under the... When I say... I, I want to couch my words very carefully. This world system is under the control of Satan. Not the world. This world belongs to God. The earth belongs to the Lord. Okay? Make no mistake about that. But this world system, he runs. And Jesus called him three times the ruler of this world. The moment, the instant that you believed, you were forcibly extracted from the kingdom of darkness and placed in the kingdom of light. That is Colossians 1.13. He... The Father, this is again Paul speaking, He, Father, has delivered us from the power of darkness. I'm going to use a word here. It's exousia. Exousia, that's administrative authority. He usurped authority. Satan usurped authority in the garden when he tempted mankind. He now has the exousia, the power of darkness, and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. So what has happened? The moment that you believed you were delivered, forcefully extracted, and I've used this word many times, so hopefully at least one of you has written it in your Bible or in your iPhone. I don't know how you do that in your iPhone, but anyway, in your Bible, you can actually write this. It is rumai, rumai, and it means to draw with force out of danger. You were ripped out of the kingdom of darkness and placed in the kingdom of the Son of His love, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what has happened? What has happened? At salvation, the Holy Spirit indwells that person, seals that person for ownership. Ephesians 1.13 and Ephesians 4.30. Sealing means God owns you. He's extracted you from the kingdom of darkness. He owns that person. A believer may be demon-oppressed, and that can happen if you get out from the covering of God, but always Holy Spirit-possessed. Let me say that again. 
a believer may be demon-possessed. Excuse me. <laughs> well, thank you for rescuing me. Exit, exit, erase, erase, yes. A believer, a believer may be demon-oppressed, but always Holy Spirit-possessed. You guys are so good. Thank you, thank you. But anyway, I want to show you this. I have two pictures of the temple. Two pictures of the temple. This is one of an unbeliever. They haven't come to, come to light of, of knowing Christ. Their spirit is dead. They have a human spirit. Their spirit has not been given life. They are self-centered. Their thoughts, their intents of their hearts are all on themselves. There's a self-will. Now, notice you have a triunity of, of humanity, body, soul, spirit, spirit. When you get born again, I'll show you that in just a second. Not yet, just a second. This gives light. But you, you run your life, your soul, your thoughts, feelings, and emotions are controlled by your human spirit, your flesh. And it's carried out in the body by self-centered, lustful actions. This is the unbeliever. Old hurts, resentments, un, undealt with sin, hidden chambers in the innermost. These are all dark. And then when you are born again, this happens. Now look at the believer. He becomes spirit-filled. You are given a new spirit. God's spirit takes up residence in you, gives your spirit life. He gives you a new heart, a new heart, God-centered, thoughts, intents. This is a, a, this is a huge thing. God's will is his desire. If you submit to the Spirit of God in your life, you will make faith choices instead of self-willed flesh choices. You become single-minded, spiritually-minded, walk after the Spirit, have agape love. You have a renewed mind. You have God's life. Now, this is the ideal. This is the ideal. But oftentimes, Christians will make decisions to walk out from under God's cover and sin. That gives the enemy permission to grasp hold of you. He can't possess you, but he can certainly oppress you and make you miserable. Okay, and we're going to be talking about that more in just a second. So remember this, you have been given new birth, new life, the Spirit of God is resonant within, and you can now make faith choices. Here, you basically made self-willed choices. Sometimes they, uh, unbelievers can make good choices, but folks, you have the ability now to say no to, the, to your flesh, no to the world, no to Satan. You don't have to listen to those voices that are coming at you. You can make faith choices instead of flesh choices. Does everyone have a grasp of that one? Yes, Mr. Gorham, yes, okay, I hope so, because it's important. So, the Holy Spirit power today to say no to the things of, of the evil realm. I do not believe you can be possessed. Demons cannot dwell in someone that is possessed by God, sealed by God, owned by God. A believer can make self-willed flesh choices that opens them to oppression. Now, the question is, what is a flesh choice? And that is agreeing with your old nature, which, by the way, loves this world system. Your flesh does not want you to live for Christ. Your flesh wants to go back to the old ways. When you first got saved, there's a struggle because you had lived in the fleshly man or woman your whole entire life. And you got saved and you're in this new world. And this tendency is that it's not true. Don't believe it. Don't follow this way. Go back to where you were more comfortable in the flesh. And that tug happens all through your life. It's most strong, I think, when you're a baby Christian. So, a flesh choice is agreeing with your old nature. And believers can make, they can make a flesh choice, but they also can make a faith choice. Now, remember, the demon's focus is the mind. It is a mind battle. The nous, N-O-U-S, your organ of perception is your mind. Demons desire to oppress the believer. Now, your job when you sense this is happening, is number one, resist the devil. This isn't in your notes, so just hear this. Resist the devil steadfast in the faith. Do not give up ground to the devil. Demons can only take what you have given them. They cannot, you have to expose yourself. And then do not allow the devil a foothold. This is in your notes. Your fighting instructions. Submit 
Resist, come near to God, James 4, 7. Submit yourself to God, resist the devil and he will flee. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Now, the question I want to ask you is this. Or first of all, I want to make a statement. That we are not to be afraid and live in fear of the demonic realm. Satan is a defeated foe. This happened at the cross. You don't have to live in fear. But you do have to be aware that you can expose yourself to a lot of misery if you walk away from Christ's protection. You really can. It can be terrible. 2 Thessalonians 3.3 says this, God is faithful that he will strengthen you and protect you from the evil one as long as you're walking under his cover. Okay? Important concept. So the question I want to ask you is this, how do I protect myself in a world of overwhelming flesh attacks? Now, I want to submit to you, and you've heard me say this, oh, I bet it's, it'd be going into the double digits, 20, 30, 10, a lot of times. Okay? A lot of times I've said this. How do we protect ourselves? Walk in the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Now, what is walking in the Spirit? It's focusing your life on God. It's abiding in Christ. It is remaining close to God. It is staying in the Word. It is, it is actively engaged in prayer. It is staying in fellowship. Folks, I submit to you that you cannot walk in the Spirit if you are not in fellowship with the body. You cannot. You're off isolated and your brain will start to deteriorate. We need one another to encourage one another as we see the day approaching. Folks, there's a lot of people that have been wounded in churches that say, I'll never go to a church again. And they're isolated and they're right exactly where Satan wants them. Useless. A wounded soldier, useless. Saved, they're saved, but useless in the battle. God wants those people to come back, to come back. No word, no prayer, no fellowship, and you watch how you start making flesh choices. The cure for demonic oppression. The cure for oppression. This is taken from Neil Anderson's book, The Bondage Breaker. And these are good words. If you want to... I believe you should have this written down, put in your refrigerator, put on your car, or any place else you can put it. Number one is confession. 1 John 1, 9. I think confession and repentance are both important. Repentance is turning around, changing your mind, and confession is agreeing with God. We confess our sins. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Confess your sins. Don't hide your sins. Don't make excuses for your sins. Don't rationalize your sin. Own your sins. Number two is renouncing. Renouncing the activities, the hold that the devil has had on you or the demons have had on you in the past. Renounce strongholds. Let me give you examples. The occult, sex addictions, pornography, jealousy, vanity, greed, Drugs, anger, wrath. These are, and it goes on and on. You can just keep adding to the list. These areas that you want to renounce. And you do it out loud so the demonic realm hears you. Hears you. I renounce this in my life. I belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. And number three, and I think is exceedingly important, is forgiveness. Because you can confess and you can renounce. But if you do not forgive... You are giving an opening to be clammed onto, to held onto. So, forgiveness. Forgive those who have hurt you in the past and forgive yourself. God has forgiven you. You must forgive yourself. God has forgiven you. You must forgive to be free from, from oppression. No forgiveness, no freedom. You'll continue being oppressed. Mark eleven twenty five 25 says this. And whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him that your father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. It frees you from the torturers. And by the way, when you renounce your sins, you are walking lockstep with Jesus. It's, watch, watch how Jesus renounces the devil, disclaims the devil in, in, in Matthew 4, 10. He said, away with you, Satan. 
Remember the temptation in the wilderness. You shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Away with you. That's what you're doing with your renouncing. Away with you, Satan. Away with you. But you must forgive. Unforgiveness allows the demonic realm to continue to oppress you. Now, the demon is cast out and the people are amazed and the Pharisees are there. Now, watch the Pharisee response. Now, Pharisees always dispute the truth. The hyper-religious. The multitude are amazed, but they aren't. There are always skeptics, those who refuse to believe the evidence. Look at Christianity is evidential faith, not blind faith. You get in discussion with people and they say, oh, you just have blind faith. Oh, no, we don't. We have evidential faith. Things that have been so plain, you cannot miss it. You cannot miss it. He can't, what do they say? He cast out demons by the ruler of demons. This is a vile statement. And it will cost the nation Israel dearly in a couple chapters. Jesus will later address this charge. It will result in the offer of the kingdom to the nation of Israel being rescinded. And the nation put on hold until the time of the Gentiles is complete. Now the time of the Gentiles is that Jerusalem will be trampled down by the Gentiles until Messiah comes back at the second coming. It's from Babylonian captivity all the way to the second coming of Christ. Now, I wanted to use this as an opportunity to go back in our teaching. Now, we went through the book of Revelation. We went through the book of Daniel in preparation for Revelation. And in that book, we went through something called the 70-week prophecy. And I want to share this with you so that we have this continually in our mind what we've, what we've been through. We inculcate, teach by repetition. And he says this in 924. 70 weeks is an angel speaking to Daniel. 70 weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city, Daniel, to finish all the stuff that God was going to do with the nation of Israel. Then he says in verse 25, Know therefore and understand, Daniel, that from going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem. He's giving him a time frame. And to restore and build Jerusalem happened in Nehemiah chapter 2. When Nehemiah went back and restored the wall in Jerusalem. That's 444 B.C. Until Messiah the Prince comes. Until Messiah the King comes. Until Messiah claims his kingship comes. And it was 62, seven weeks plus 62 weeks. That's 69 week years, 483 years. So you remember this picture that we use numerous times during this study. Daniel's 70-week prophecy, where the prophecy was decreed. It happened on Artaxerxes, on Nehemiah chapter 2. So in Daniel's age, they went into captivity for 70 years. They come back from captivity, and Nehemiah starts this decree. And then 69 weeks take place, 483 years. These are weak years, 70 times 7, 490 years. If one week is left, about 483 years until Messiah the Prince comes into his triumphal entry in Jerusalem and accepts his kingship. Several times he refused it. Now he accepts it. He will then die on the cross. The nation of Israel will reject him and time will stop for the Jewish people. This is called the church age. What you are living in now is the time from Jesus' death all the way until we are extracted. That is the church age, okay? The age of grace. When we are extracted out of here, that will start the last final week. It's a complete week, a seven-year week. Not a half, three-and-a-half-year week, but a seven-year week. Okay, that's a very important concept. And what will happen in this time frame if the Jews will finally realize something. The church is gone. God is dealing with the Jewish people at this point. And they will realize at the very end. That they have to plead for Messiah to return. And they have to admit their national sin of rejecting Messiah. And in Hosea chapter 5 verse 15 or so. They finally do it just a few days before the end of the tribulation. 
They go through all of that mess, that seven years of death and destruction, where two-thirds of the Jews die, one-third go to safety in Basra, and then finally they understand they need Jesus to save them. And they do those things of pleading. Now, back to our lesson. The disciples have, been, have learned much. They've seen much. Now it's time for them to do much. In 35 and 36, we have these verses. Then Jesus went all about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. Jesus is breaking into the kingdom of darkness and straightening everything out, showing he's the Messiah. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep with no shepherd. What happens to sheep without shepherd? They just run all over the place. They're lost. They can't function. Jesus knows they need a shepherd. So Jesus is modeling what he expects his disciples to do. They are being prepared for ministry, equipped and ready to fly on their own. That's what they're being prepared to do. That is the whole purpose of the local church, is to prepare disciples for ministry, to prepare people to fly, to prepare people to do. Like a baby bird, there's a time to fly and move from watching and learning to doing. Folks, that is so important. Most Christians are baby birds, always wanting to be fed baby food, never wanting to fly. Now, this is, we've had this picture before. This won't be a surprise to you, but this is most Christians. Just feed me, feed me, take care of me, entertain me, entertain me. It's all about me. I submit to you, it is not all about us. It's about Jesus. It's about serving him. It is not all about us. God's desire is for fly, baby, bird, fly, grow up. Now, sometimes this is what it takes for the baby bird to fly. Now, you have a, this, this robin to say, hey, get out. It's time to do, little bird. And sometimes God does this to you in different ways. He leverages pressure on you. Because I want you to do something. And by the way, you have been given a spiritual gift. The moment you were saved, you are given a spiritual gift and a divine endowment by God to do something within the body of Christ, to edify, encourage, and build up the body of Christ. Every single believer has a spiritual gift to be used within the body. So that is an important thing to remember. These disciples have seen Jesus. They've, they've been taught by Jesus, and now they're prepared to do. In verse 37 to 38, that's what they're going to do, more preparation to do. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is truly plentiful, but the laborers are few. It's always been that way. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. We don't harvest. It's his harvest. Now, these, these, guys, these disciples have spent time with Jesus. They've been prepared. They're trained. They're trained. In the next chapter, they're going to go out two by two and do what Jesus has just demonstrated for them. Laborers are needed. This is obvious. In any body of believers, laborers are needed. What is not so obvious is this, that we are to pray that God will send out laborers. And we say, oh, Lord, move in their hearts. Move in their hearts. It's up, for me to, up to me to teach you. It's up to you to respond. That's how the thing works. To move from the sidelines, the observation phase of Christianity, to the active engage phase. Or you actually do one. Again, so many people want to be on the sidelines. Most people say this. Uh, you, I, I, well, I said this for decades, okay? Maybe you have said the same thing too. Most want someone else to do it. Anyone but me. Now, I said that a lot of times. And Moses is our example. In Exodus 4, 13 through 18, he made four excuses Send anyone but me, God. Send anyone but me. And I would like to know, who is this person that's called someone? What is the, I like to be introduced to this guy. Who are you, someone? You are somebody that can do something. Find your purpose. Know what your spiritual gift is. God's job, folks, is to save people. We don't save people. 
God saves people. He softens hearts. He opens blinded eyes. He allows people to see clearly their need for a Savior. We realize at some point we are desperately lost. My life is a mess. I'm filled with sin. I've done this long enough. God, I need you. I can't tell you how countless number of people just cried out in their moment of despair. Our job is to tell them, give them the life-saving gospel message. Now, I have a picture here to just help you remember this. God's job, save them, our job. This is, a, this is a team. This is a team. God wants you on the team. God's job, our job. Knowing the difference makes all the, knowing the difference makes all the difference. We have a job to do. We are responsible for this job. And by the way, Mr. or Mrs. Flesh is not going to want you to do your job. It's always going to be saying, send someone, not me. But your spirit will say go, your flesh will say no. And I want to tell you, heed the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to say this, and in context, there's going to be a thing that comes up here. No guts, no glory. No guts, no glory, no glorifying God. If you don't have the guts to step out, you will not glorify God. Do have the guts. And the question is, do you have the guts? Do you have the guts? No guts, no glory. To glorify God. Do you have the guts to glorify God? It takes guts in this culture to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. It is getting harder and harder. And you have the guts because you have the Holy Spirit resident within you, the rod of iron up your spine to change your life. You don't have to stay the same. You don't have to think the same. You don't have to be trapped the same way. You can be set free by God. That is important. In closing thoughts, the 12 disciples were given Messiah's exousia, his authority to do signs and wonders. Now, these signs were given to the 12 to authenticate their message. Okay? This is important. It authenticated the message. And I would submit to you that these 12 did not have the Holy Spirit within them at that time. They had the exousia, Jesus' power, but you have something, and they got this at Pentecost, something very special, something greater, the indwelling Holy Spirit. The dunamis power is within you to do the impossible. Now, he's talking about witnessing here, but I'm suggesting to you that you have the Holy Spirit dunamis power within you to change your script, to change your life. Many people have been trapped in oppression and count activity that is counter to God for all of their, most of their Christian life. And you can say, no, this is changing today. The power of God resides in you. You shall receive power, dunamis power, capable power, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, epi upon you, and you shall be witnesses. That's the main thing. All these signs and wonders were for a witness. It was to show people the real Jesus in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And by the way, in the Great Commission, Jesus says this, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Jesus is God. And then he says, To his disciples then, and by extension to us today, go and make disciples of all nations. And he's to teaching them, Observe all things I've commanded you. And he says, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Guess who that includes? That includes us. Jesus has given you his exousia, his administrative authority to go out and witness for him. He's given you the power to do this. The power to do this. You have a mission to make disciples. The evil in our world will do everything to inhibit your mission. It will fight against you with this mission. And listen, you know what they use. We've said this before. Deception, that's one of the main things that Satan does. Deception. Distraction. I'm going to say it again, just for emphasis. There's never been a people group, a culture in the world that has been distracted as much as this culture. This is new. The bombardment that you are getting in your brains 24-7 with all of the technology that is in your pocket, constantly at it, is changing synapses, 
gyruses and sulcuses, paths of thinking in our brains. Take a fast from that information, folks. Deception, distraction, discouragement, and fiery darts. And as we get more and more demonic in this country, the believer is going to get more and more fiery darts. Now remember, the fiery, the, the, what you have to protect yourself is the shield of faith. And I ask you, how big is your shield? How big is your faith? You have a little, a little dot, and all these things are coming. Bing, 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 bing. Or do you have a shield, a shield of faith? Is your faith strong? You're going to need a strong faith going forward in this nation as it changes. You must have a faith, the shield of faith, all your armor on. Stay on mission, stay focused, stay engaged, and as Jesus said, be salty. You are the salt of the earth. Impact the world that he has placed you in. Right now, you're being prepared for another place, another kingdom. You're being prepared to rule. And I might tell you this. When you get to rule in God's kingdom, and you get to go there, it will never, ever, ever be boring. You heard me say this last time. Never for eternity will we hear someone say, all the millions and who knows billions of people in heaven, say, I'm bored. From one little corner in heaven, some little pipsqueak going, I'm bored. You will never hear that. You won't hear me. <laughs> I don't think you'll hear me saying that. And do you realize who it is that wants to live with you forever? God. God wants to live with you. Think about the greatness of God. When you think about the greatness of God, we are given his attributes. His attributes. I'll give you a couple. Number one is his self-sufficiency. A.W. Tozer, in his book, Knowledge of the Holy, says this. Whatever God is and all that God is, he is in himself. All life is in and from God, whether it be the lowest form of unconscious life or the highly self-conscious, intelligent life of a cherubim, the highest of God's creation. God is supreme over all. God can never be elevated because he is already elevated to the highest potential. God is self-sufficient. God does not need me. I need him. And this great God wants me to be in his family. That's an amazing thing. Then the transcendence of God. God is exalted far above the created universe. So far above human thought cannot imagine. Forever God stands apart in light unapproachable. Why am I emphasizing this? Because what has come into the church today is new age philosophy. Where pantheism and panentheism has crept in. There's something called the Enneagram. And the Enneagram says you can discover your personality type. And you can go through all these tests. And all of a sudden this thing starts to take over your life. And before you know it, you're starting to look at God in, 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 the, in the dogs. And God in the cats. And God in the cattle. And God, no, God is transcendent. God has chosen to dwell within believers. That's who God dwells in. Panentheism is inanimate objects. He's in the wood. He's in the chair. There's God in the chair. And before you know it, these people are thinking they're part of all the, everything, and we're all God, and I'm a God myself. That's, how, that's where that thing takes you. Be very, very careful when you get in this new age stuff that introduces you to things that you think are okay. Be careful. Be careful. Don't know where I left off. Okay, anyway. is The transcendence of God. God has a desire to share with his family things that are spectacular. And remember, you are a child of God. You are a daughter of God. You are a, the most intimate of all. You are the bride of Christ. You are special. God loves you and cherishes you. And just think forever prepared to do and to rule. You're going to be doing something forever. Forever. Until then, stand by, and you know this, the waters will be choppy. The resistance is immense and it is growing. The battle will rage. And I believe that Satan is going to pull out every trick in the book to try to trip you up. To discourage you, distract you, deceive you. You're a trained warrior. You are trained warriors. You know his tactics and methods. 
You know them. I want to show you a picture. Watch every single believer. Watch what's going on around you. Watch the lies that are coming after you. Remember Rod Dreyer's book, Live Not By Lies. We are to see, judge, act. Everything goes through what this word says. Don't believe anything that this culture tells you. Use the word of God as your template for truth. Watch and then stand fast in the faith. Do not be moved. And then be brave and be strong. And you know what? You have the Holy Spirit in you. But to be brave and be strong, I need this. I need this. I need you guys together. We bolster one another up. That's why we are to meet together even more as we see the day approaching. And it is approaching. You can see it. You can see it. Hold on. Resist. Stand fast in the faith. Draw near to God. Know the truth. You are prepared. You're, right now, you're being prepared to do. And you're being prepared right now to rule in the future. Your preparation is right now. Folks, get ready. Get ready. I believe stronger than any time in my life. And I believe this pretty strongly in 1978 with the late great planet Earth. But the changes that we have seen in the last few years, folks, the king is coming. He is coming. I, I, it's on the press of us. Be ready and be strong and watch and don't be fooled and share the life-saving message of Jesus with the world around you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for giving us your word. Thank you that you've given us the tools to defeat the enemy. And by the way, the enemy was defeated at the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. He put the shame to things in the dark, dark world. And Lord, now we can live victorious. We live from a, from a stance of victory. We don't have to be controlled. We can say yes to the, to the Lord Jesus Christ. We can make faith choices instead of flesh choices. And may we walk in what we know today. Lord, I ask you to fill each person here with your spirit. Give them the courage to walk this life in a man, walk out this life in a manner that is worthy, worthy of you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.